Hello and thank you for logging on to the Memory Gauge, your new favourite Digimon card game podcast. I'm your host Connor and in today's episode we're going to be covering a topic that I'm sure is going to be on many people's minds right now, just one week after the pre-release, which is how can I build a deck with my limited card pool. But first, some news. As of the release of this episode, we are just one week away from the official webcam tournament being run online by Bandai. I hope you've registered your interest because this is a huge milestone event for the game and you do not want to miss out because you forgot to register your interest. So this is your one week warning. Get involved. I'm not even sure if registrations of interest are going to be open by the time this episode comes out, but I'm going to put the link into the show notes anyway, just in case. Have a go. Please make sure you don't miss out because you forgot. I would hate for that to happen, so I'm reminding you now. And our next piece of news is about the upcoming English releases. Now, it looks like once 1.5 releases, that's going to release in February of next year, it's looking like our next English release is going to just straight up be the next set that we'll get in May. That's BT4. So it's looking like... After the special booster releases 1.0 and 1.5, we are just going to go straight back to straight one for one with the Japanese sets. Uh, this is, I'm not 100% sure that this has been confirmed, but I've seen this from a few different places. So I felt confident enough that I would share that with you guys because it's a bit of an interesting piece of information and the card lists for BT4 and for all the other sets are sort of Coming out now, we're seeing a lot more of those, so we can start to plan ahead for that situation, start to see those cards. And it's just nice to know what's coming down the pipeline. So although we should be building for what the meta in front of us, we can also start to think about, okay, hopefully I'm going to be able to grab this card, this card, this card, and improve my deck in this way. Or once these cards come through, I'm going to build this deck instead, because all of a sudden this deck is going to be no good. It's just good to be able to plan ahead for these sorts of things so that we can be ready for them coming through. I for one am very, very excited about this. I'm excited about the upcoming sets because we're getting a lot of really cool stuff. Many people much cleverer than me have already covered this, but we're getting things like hybrid Digimon, which is really cool. Um, sort of Digimon that evolve onto Tamers, which is going to be really interesting. I'm sure that's really going to shake things up a bit. And just lots of really cool cards, lots of um, fan-favorite Digimon coming through, and lots of effects that are looking really cool. I think we're getting a Digimon version of Haste, which is an effect that allows a Digimon to attack on the turn that it comes into play. I'm not sure what the actual English official term for that is going to be, but it's an effect that is present in... Many other trading card games, lots of other trading card games. It's a pretty ubiquitous kind of an effect. So it was inevitable that it was going to come to Digimon eventually. But finally seeing it and knowing that it's on its way is kind of cool. This is the kind of effect that I really like to play with. I really like to play fast and aggressive. And so knowing that this particular effect is coming and coming soon is really exciting to me because it's the kind of effect I really love to play with. And my last piece of information is just a plea to you guys. If you're not already a member of, for example, Digimon Card Game TCG on Facebook or the 
if you're not following the sort of official Digimon card game accounts on Twitter, on your socials, etc., please do so. Please join the Discord. Please do all these things because the community around this game is starting to look really good. It's starting to take shape. Lots of people are coming in now because of the pre-release and we're just going to get more and more people in when the actual release happens in January. And one of the great things about being part of a trading card game is being part of that community. It's one of the reasons I started the podcast was to help build that sense of community and do my part to bring the Digimon card game community together and to sort of be a point around which the card game community can come together. So I really do implore you, if you're not already a member of these kinds of groups, please join them because at the moment it is so hard to find like-minded people because we're not really in a lot of places allowed to go to public, allowed to go to local game stores and meet people who are interested in the same games that we are, etc. So it's more important than ever to get online and find community that way. Community is so important. So please, if you haven't already, do make sure to reach out and join these Digimon card game communities because if they grow, they do well, they get a lot of people in who are keen and passionate about the game, the game itself is just going to really, really benefit from that. Otherwise, on to the main topic. Now, by now, hopefully everyone's had a chance to receive and open their pre-release product. My friend and I sat down together, we opened our starter decks, we opened up our booster boxes, and it was a great time. I'm really pleased with the art quality, I'm really happy with the quality of the cards physically, and I've been looking forward to this game for months, and it was just awesome to finally have these cards in hand. Uh, If you wanted to see my best pulls, I know that's kind of a thing that people are doing, posting out their best pulls. I put my super and secret rares up on Twitter, at ConnorEFMG, so if you're wondering, those are the best pulls. I did get Omni One. there was a big celebration, it was very exciting, that was the card I was hoping to pull, and I did get one, so that was very exciting. Yes, I know, I'm one of the rich, one of the 1% now. Anyway, check that out if you're interested, otherwise, if you're anything like me, the very next thing that you did after you opened your cards was that you tried to put together a deck. Now I know that I've been theory crafting for weeks, I've been putting together decks on digimoncard.dev, I've been trying to work out what I'm going to play, but at least in my local area, access to pre-release product was very, very limited. My LGS only allocated one of each starter deck and one booster box per person. So everybody only got one of each starter deck and one booster box, so even with excellent luck, That means that my card pool at the moment is quite limited. It turns out I didn't pull the four super rare Gallantmon that I needed for the red Gallantmon deck, for instance. So imagine that. But my local game store is starting to run Digimon events. And of course, I want to be able to go along and compete and do well. And that's where I got the idea for today's episode. So if you're someone who's in the same position as me, you maybe didn't get very much product... Your card pool is very limited at the moment. Maybe you didn't pull what you were expecting. How can you still build a strong deck to compete at your local events? And I've done a bit of research and there are a few things that we can do to make the most of our card pool. So I'm going to go over some of my thoughts, some of the ideas that I've found on how to maximize your limited cards to make the best deck that you can. Now, this advice comes from a couple of years of drafting and limited experience. That's limited with a capital L as in the format 
experience in other card games from myself, as well as a lifetime of just not having enough money to buy every card I want or need for my deck. So I'm a little bit used to having to build decks without access to every card that I would like. Uh, but it also comes a lot of this information from a lot of people who are much smarter than me, and I'm going to link to a few of the articles that I read as research for this episode in the show notes. I especially want to shout out Gavin Verhey from Wizards of the Coast. He did some really good articles that I read about building a sealed deck in Magic the Gathering, and I was able to take a lot of ideas from that and put it into today's episode. It's not exactly a one-for-one transfer, but whatever you think about Gavin, um, he writes really well, and he knows what he's talking about when it comes to the game, so it's really worth checking out. Now I have a few pieces of advice, and I've sort of summed them up in one short phrase. So the first phrase is, know your limitations. So the first piece of advice is to be aware of your limitations, and really be honest with yourself about what you can build with your card pool. So maybe before you opened up your box, you had grand dreams that you were going to build tier one red Omnimon but you opened up your cards and you only pulled one Omnimon or you didn't pull any Omnimon. So you could push ahead anyway and you could try to build your Omnimon deck, but if you only have one, it's just not going to be as consistent. It won't be as strong as you like. You're just not going to get Omnimon every game. And if you're building an Omnimon deck, you want to get Omnimon every game. So I'm a big advocate of building the deck that you want to run, but if you build a deck that's inconsistent or kind of too forced, it won't run very well, and it probably won't actually be very fun to play. So even though you might build a deck that you think is the deck you want to run, you'll find that after a few games it actually won't be as enjoyable, and it might put you off that strategy, which is not what we want. We want to be enjoying ourselves when we sit down to play. So I would start by sorting your cards at least into the different colors, and from there you should start to get a basic idea of which colors are going to have your strongest card pool to pull from. So if you've got a purple pile that's only half as big as your green pile, you're almost certainly going to have more success building a green deck rather than a purple deck. And it's also a good idea to sort your cards into card types and Digimon levels. So you might have a huge pile of one color, but you don't have any level fours or not enough level fours to really run it properly as a deck. And that will give you another idea of what's going to be your stronger colors, what's going to be your weaker colors. Now there is an adage among writers, which goes, kill your darlings. And that means that to get the best result, sometimes you need to throw away ideas, to discard ideas, to kill ideas that you really, really love because they just don't work with what you have. And the idea is the same with deck building. Sometimes you can get so stuck on an idea that you try too hard to make it work, but the cards simply aren't there. And in those cases, in both writing and in deck building, I like to write down that idea and then file it away for later use and say, I'm not going to work on this now. This is not the card pool. This is not the time that this idea is for. I'm going to pull this one out later when I have more time, better cards, more money, whatever it might be. Just because you can't use that idea now, it doesn't mean that you can't use it later. And if it's a good idea, you will get around to it sometime. The good ideas you do get around to. 
And that brings us to our second piece of advice. And the second piece of advice I have is remember the fundamentals. Not the band, not a football team, not like remember the Titans, remember the fundamentals. So remember and follow the deck building fundamentals. Now for Digimon, this means that you should stick as close as you can to the recommended number of each level of Digimon, the recommended number of options, and the recommended number of tamers, unless you have a very, very good reason not to. Now, when you're working with suboptimal cards, or not enough, maybe, cards, the last thing that you need to do is to hamstring yourself even further by building your deck in a way that's not going to be consistent. You don't want to weaken your deck even further by building it in such a way that you just don't get the cards that you need, you don't get the levels of Digimon you need, you don't get to really get the strategy off of the ground. You need to give yourself every chance that you can and that means that you need to make sure that you can play the cards that you want or that you need when you need to play them. So we discussed deck building fundamentals back in episode 3, that was deck building 101. If you haven't listened to it yet, I would recommend it, not because I think it's a good episode, although I do, but because I'm not going to go over those same topics. We go over the reason that you want to include certain numbers of Digimon, the reason you want to include options, tamers, and times when you might want to go against that. It's all covered in that episode. If you haven't already, consider it required listening for this episode. This is a continuation of the deck building series, and you should really check out episode three before you come into this one. Now, all of this is not to say that you should never do things differently to the quote-unquote best way to do things, but you just need to understand the rules, you need to understand the guidelines before you break them. Now, there's always reasons to do things differently, and there's times when doing things differently might be the best way to build your deck. But if you don't have a really thorough understanding of the correct way to build, if you don't have a solid understanding of why we do these things, and that really just comes with practice and with absorption of content, and you go against the grain just to be different, you're almost always going to come away with a deck that is not as strong or consistent as it could be. Being different is not bad by any stretch of the imagination, and if that's what amuses you if that's what you think is fun then go for it but you just need to understand that if you're doing so in a way where you don't understand why we have these rules why we have these guidelines the deck that you come up with is not going to be as strong because you're breaking rules that are meant to be stuck to and you're not breaking them for a good reason or for the right reason so all this leads us into our next tip which i've called understanding the why Now, a popular way to build strong decks, we've talked about this before, is to take inspiration from other deck lists. One great thing about the Digimon card game, even this early on, even we haven't even had the full release yet, is that there are heaps and heaps of talented content creators putting out deck lists, putting out videos, putting out guides that we can use for inspiration. So building decks from other deck lists is easy when we have access to all the cards that we need. But a lot of times the deck lists that people don't put up don't really account for a limited card pool because they want to put up the best version of the deck. So they're not going to put up the version of the deck that you build when you don't have access to all the Omnimon, when you don't have access to all of the option cards you need, etc. 
So this is when it becomes really important to get a clear understanding of why cards are being included. Because if we know why a card has been included in a certain deck, then we can effectively substitute it for a card that we do have, which serves a similar purpose. So we might not have the exact card that's on the deck list. We might not have the exact card that we want, but if we know its purpose, we can find a card that will serve a similar purpose that we can substitute in the meantime. So for instance, you might want to include four copies of Terra Force, which is, for those who don't know, an eight memory cost option card in red, and it destroys one of your opponent's Digimon as its main effect, and its security effect is to activate its main effect. You might want to include four copies of that because it's great removal. It's probably the best removal in the game as of 1.0, but you only have access to two because you only got one copy of the starter deck that it comes in, and there's only two copies of Terra Force in the starter deck. So in that situation, you need to think to yourself, well, what is it that I'm going to be targeting with my Terra Force most of the time? What am I hoping to accomplish by including the Terra Force? Am I mostly hoping to use it to get rid of a big level six threat on my opponent's board as the Terra Force comes up out of security. In that case, you might want to splash in two copies of another big removal option, maybe even from another color, because that's still going to work out of security and you just want the Terra Force to come up out of security. So you might include two copies of Trump Sword, two copies of Kokaitis Breath, because when it comes up out of security, it's going to remove that threat. It's going to hit pretty much the same kinds of Digimon that you want the Terra Force to be hitting and it can just act as kind of a substitute because it's performing the same function. Or maybe you're including the Terra Force and it's there because you want it to throw it down, get rid of a key blocker, attack for the win. So in that case you might substitute Oblivion Bird which is a five memory red option card which deletes an opponent's blocker because you just want to get rid of blockers. So an option card that destroys a blocker is a good substitute in that case for the other two copies of Terra Force. Now, neither of these choices is as good as the two extra Terra Force because Terra Force can target anything. But understanding why you're including Terra Force is key to substituting it until you can get a hand on the last two copies. So understanding the why of including the card leads us to a good substitute. Uh, understanding the why of why we include certain cards also lets us recognize our limitations, bringing it back to our first point, because if a deck revolves around a certain card or a certain type of effect and we have no cards that have that effect serve that same purpose, we don't have any other cards that serve that purpose, we're probably not going to be able to make a strong version of that deck. Luckily, the abundance of content creators at the moment helps us here too, because there's many creators putting out deck lists and often they will release them alongside videos, alongside podcasts that explain the deck and the card choices and why they're putting in certain cards and what they're hoping to achieve by putting in certain cards. That's something I've tried to do with my own deck profiles on the memory gauge is to explain why cards are going in as well as what those cards are. So if you don't have access to all of those cards, you can begin to substitute them with things that will create the same effect. Or if you're hoping to upgrade the deck, you can say, actually, I don't need this because this isn't coming up in my meta, so I can substitute it that way. But that's a discussion for another time.
So it, putting in a little work to understand the function of a card in a given deck can evolve your deck building hugely. Your dream deck might not be so far out of reach as you think if you know which cards you can substitute for other effects. So, to recap, our three tips for deck building with a limited card pool are Know your limitations. You need to be realistic about what you can make with the cards that you have. Remember the fundamentals. Don't handicap yourself by failing to follow the fundamental rules for deck building in Digimon and building an inconsistent deck. If your deck is weaker, but it can hit its win condition almost every game, then you're going to make up for a lot of deficiencies and you'll come out over the top of stronger decks or cards that have, or decks, sorry, that have stronger cards, but don't hit their win conditions, aren't as consistent. And finally, understand the why. Please make sure you really understand why a certain card is being included in a deck. So that you know what to substitute for it if you don't have access to that particular card. I hope this helps you to all improve your deck building in this early pre-release format of the game. I hope that maybe if you're a person who's in the situation that I'm in where you've got one of each starter deck and one box and you didn't pull all the cards you were hoping for. Maybe you didn't pull all the green rookies etc that you were really really hoping for. I hope that this helps you. With your deck building i hope that this helps you arrive at a deck that maybe isn't your dream deck but will be fun and playable and consistent at least until we're able to get our hands on more cards later in january so my question to you this week listeners is what deck have you built hopefully if you haven't already built a deck after listening to this episode you're inspired to go out and start building your own decks please i would love to see them I would love for us to start sort of sharing these so we can start sharing ideas and strategies and getting together as a community. So please post your deck list to Twitter with the hashtag, hashtag memory gauge podcast, or post it on Facebook and tag at memory gauge podcast. That way we will all be able to find it. We'll all be able to look and we'll all be able to start sort of sharing ideas, working together. If you have any questions, feedback, comments, or concerns, you can tweet at me at ConnorEFMG, or you can email me at MemoryGagePodcast at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening. Please enjoy yourselves, stay safe, and this is the Memory Gauge, logging out.